Amen. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited for this. I love Proverbs, and um, I told some of the guys, I'm ready to preach the whole book this morning, but I won't. Um, and I also mentioned in our intercessory prayer that this is a great transition, because as we read this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and uh, we will end in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is the natural progression from the cross to wisdom. Even though Proverbs was written a couple thousand years before, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians tells us that this is the ultimate expression of God's wisdom, which looks foolish to man, that Christ would lay down his life for his own. And so uh, we'll flesh that out more. But beginning a series like this, I want you to think about a very broad question, uh, and we won't dig into it as much this morning, but we definitely will throughout this book. What is the wisdom of this age? You know, as we think about what the world values, what it, what it, what it holds up, and really it might be hard to tell because there are so many competing voices, right? There's always a new problem that we must worry about right now, and there's always a new solution, which is the best thing ever. And so the wisdom of the world seems to kind of shift with the cultural or political climate, whether it's viruses or vaccines or social issues, whether it's politics, the Democrats or the Republicans, um, inflation, economy, any of these things, the wisdom of the world gives you an answer right now, and that, that answer typically changes. And so what do we do? How do we as believers respond to these things? Because one of, the thing about the, one of the things about the book of Proverbs is it's a complement to the Mosaic law. So the book of Proverbs is not necessarily about sinful or, uh, or, or, or righteous, uh, but it's about wise or unwise, prudent or, or, or foolish. And so um, our world likes to impart new wisdom. We love new things. If you want to be a modern man, if you want to be a modern woman, you've got to keep up with these things. Well, that's old. That's, that's irrelevant. That's in the past. And so what we're going to see is the two wisest men who ever walked the face of the earth are going to be great, great examples for us. And what God has, has given us in this book of Proverbs is timeless, and there's much that we can pull from it. Um, but as we're reading through this book and uh, kind of setting up the first few verses, I want us to think about what are we influenced by? Whether we realize it or not, who are the most dominant voices in our heads? Who are the people, who, who are the uh, drummers that, that we march to? Because going through this book, I want us to be walking in, in wisdom. And so uh, there's a great lengthy and um, wonderfully expressed quote by uh, Bruce Waltke, which will be um, up on the uh, screen. So I want to read this. This is uh, wordy but helpful. He says, in a word and in a world bombarded by inane cliches, uh, trivial catchwords, and godless sound bites, the expression of true wisdom is in short supply today. Amen to that. The church stands alone as the receptacle and repository of the inspired traditions, uh, where, you, where, you, where you put it and where you keep it, basically, receptacle and repository, of the inspired traditions that carry a mandate for a holy life from the ancient sages, the greatest of whom was Solomon, 
and from the greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. As the course and bulk of biblical wisdom, the book of Proverbs remains the model of curriculum for humanity to learn how to live under God and before mankind. As a result, it beckons the church to diligent study and application. To the uncommitted youth, it serves as a stumbling stone. And to the committed youth, a foundation stone. Amen. Our need today is godly wisdom and godly discernment. Uh, and if you, are, if, if you like deep, dense books, I recommend Bruce Waltke's commentary. Uh, if not, it can keep your door open. So that's... It's good for that. Um, so before we get into our text, there's a few things I want uh, to keep in mind as we begin. So when we do with Hebrew poetry, we've talked about this before in our Psalm series, but Hebrew poetry is especially difficult to translate because of the idioms and the figures of speech and all the, uh, the uh, nuances. There's, there's range of meaning, um, and, and a lot of times much is said in one or two words. And so going along, we're going to have to define a lot of terms because a simple word like, like knowledge or a simple word like wisdom, um, the, the biblical writers have a much richer view of those terms and that we're going to flesh out. So here's another helpful uh, quote. I read a lot of commentaries this week, so this is really helpful. Robert Alter is a, a Hebrew scholar, so he did a translation of the entire Old, Old Testament and a running commentary of the wisdom books. I'd also recommend that book as well. He says, because of the fundamental structural differences between biblical Hebrew and modern English, it often takes eight to ten words to say in English what is expressed in four Hebrew words. This is true in, in my study of the text. When people say, well, I want a, a directly literal translation. If you want a directly literal translation, it would sound like Yoda speak with no context. Um, and, and so you, you, you have to flesh this out, and so you have to provide some words in English um, and do the best we, we can to give a sense uh, f- for writers who we are separated by three to 4,000 years and different culture and uh, different language. So that's the book in general. Number two, uh, my goal in this series um, is to increase, for us, to increase in wisdom and fear of the Lord. That is also, spoiler alert, the purpose of the book. Um, and in this misguided world, we need to reset our compass. Uh, I was at the dentist on, on Wednesday, and uh, I, I mentioned this last night, and Jeremy said, all good jokes start with, I was at the dentist. This is not a joke, just a, an, an illustration. Uh, and I was talking to this guy, and um, it was Wednesday morning, and he said, um, what are you doing tonight? It's like, oh, well, I'm studying, and then we're going to Bible study. So then, then we got into conversations about uh, church and the Bible and things like that, and he kind of had this kind of spiritualist view of, view of things. But his response was really interesting. He said, oh, that's, and I would tell him, like, why we study the Bible. And he said, that's, it. That, that's good. He said, you know what I feel like? I feel like I'm a compass, and the world is full of magnets. I was like, wow. That, like, that really typifies what is going on in, in, in our culture. That even this guy who has no biblical wisdom is realizing, I don't know how to find true north because there are, there are magnets everywhere. And you don't know how compasses work. It's, it's, it's a magnetic um, needle that points to true north. But if, but if you're in a room full of magnets, your, your compass is going to be going crazy. So when we think about the wisdom of the world, the world has all these competing, competing magnets that is, that, that, that is pulling us away from true north. And the book of Proverbs helps us find true north in the fear of the Lord and in the wisdom of God. And so uh, in our study, I want us to build a foundation 
and a lens with which through we can see our daily situations. So the title of the sermon series is going to be Walking in Wisdom. Because one of the minor themes of the book is path, way, walk. Um, we get this in the New Testament too. The Christian walk. That picture, that analogy of one foot in front of the other. What do we do when we wake up every morning? What do we do when we go from place to place, situation to situation? How do we navigate the confusion and the frustration and the disappointment and the opportunity of the world around us? So that's the, the series. Here's the plan. Uh, for those of you who are, who are planners and want to know how to take notes, we're going to go exegetically, so verse by verse through chapters 1 through 9. Um, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, chapter 10 kind of all bets are off. There are, there's no uh, clear exegetical plan. But what we're going to do is we're going to go through uh, basically chapters 10 through, through 26 um, thematically. So as themes and major chunks arise, we're going to deal with those. Uh, and then getting into chapter 26, there's, there's more logical sections again. But when it's all said and done, we're going to go through most of the book. So we will be jumping around a little bit, but it will make sense after we get out of chapter 9. But that will be months and months in, in the future. Um, all right, so this morning, uh, our title of the sermon encompasses our text this morning. This is the, the purpose statement and the prevailing principle of the entire book. This, our passage this morning is essential to understanding this, this book, and it's a rubric for everything that follows. So quickly, in verse 1, you've got the title, the author, and the subject matter. Verse 2 through verse 7 is the, the kind of purpose explanation of the entire book. But within that, we're going to look at verse 2 and 3, which addresses everyone. Verse 4, which addresses the simple Verse 5 and 6, which addresses the wise, and verse 7, which addresses the foolish. Um, so that's where we're going. That's what we're doing. Let's jump in. Proverbs chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying. The words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You are so awesome in all of your ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Who could dare be your counselor? Who could plumb the depths of what you know and possess? Yet in your mercy, you condescend to us. You make known your will. You make known the desire of your heart, the desire for those who would live a life that is pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that we would be those people, that we would be people with a robust and zealous fear of the Lord, who desires to walk in wisdom, who looks to your word for supreme counsel, supreme instruction, supreme correction that we subject everything else in our lives underneath that word, that we may be pleasing in your sight. We ask that your spirit be with us 
the spirit of wisdom. Instruct us, remind us, teach us, correct us according to your word, and may you bring fruit to this study. May it be pleasing to you and glorifying to Christ Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so let's jump right in. The Proverbs. So let's start with the word Proverbs. Um, This is another word that is hard to define. It doesn't have a very simple uh, definition. It's not rules of conduct. Um, It's more principles of living that require wisdom to implement. Um, And so Proverbs are kind of how to navigate the right time in the right situation. Remember I mentioned earlier, this is not the Mosaic Law. This is not, it's, it's sinful if you, if you don't do it, or it's righteous if you, if you do, but it will go well for you if you do. It's wise to do this or unwise not to. Um, and that's why sometimes the Proverbs can seem like, like they contradict one another. Because they're, they're, they're not absolutes, they're what we would call truisms. That they are true most of the time and they apply to the situation. But the other thing that's difficult about Proverbs, and a lot of it is missed in the English, is that Proverbs use parable, uh, poetry, creative in- instruction to train the godly. And so there's a lot inherent within the structure, the, the parallelism, the similarities, the, the, the contrast, the, the way things are laid out, uh, that's necessary to understand it. So we're going to have to get technical at times, but it will be very practical. Um, and the other thing here is that there is not much stated theology in this book. So if you're um, used to our First Peter study or going through the, the, the Pauline epistles where theology is, is laid out, if that gets over your head, uh, this won't. There's no theology expressly stated in this book in that way. But it is all throughout. There is a, a, a theological framework which is understood in this book, and we'll be, we'll be fleshing that out as we go. So that's kind of what we're looking at as far as Proverbs. Uh, and some of these Proverbs are going to be one verse. Some of them are going to be large, uh, almost mini sermons, uh, larger sections. So the, the first nine chapters are larger sections, whereas the bulk of the book is going to be smaller kind of, uh, smaller sections of Proverbs. So these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So, um, when Solomon speaks, and most of these are attributed to Solomon, but he also gathered the, 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 the wisest sayings from all of the culture. When Solomon speaks, he speaks as the anointed king of Israel. But he also speaks as the son of David. God made a covenant with David and promised that he would have a son who would sit on his throne. And so he speaks as the type, meaning the, the uh, form of the promised son of David that would point to the anti-type, the, the ultimate form. So he is speaking as a king, as a son of David, but most importantly, a wise man, a very wise man, but not wise by his own accord. He was wise because he loved the Lord and he humbled himself before the Lord. So I think it's helpful to understand Solomon before we get into Proverbs. So if you turn to 1 Kings, so if you're in your Bible, go a few books to the left. First Kings, um, there's a very uh, helpful and, and uh, insightful passage here. So I'm going to read the, the lengthy passage, but there's, there's some good stuff in here. So this is First Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Notice the first thing in this section. First Kings 3, chapter 3. 
Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon had a lot of faults. No one's saying Solomon was perfect. But what is front and center is that Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. He had unauthorized worship. But he's still known for loving the Lord and walking according to David. So now it's kind of an explanation of this, this interchange that happens between him and God. And the king went to, to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. God basically said, ask anything you want. This is a beautiful response. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked, notice that language of walking again and again, he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. These are all themes within the book of Proverbs. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. This is also a major theme in Proverbs. Remember that Solomon sees himself as a little child. This will come up in a moment. I don't know how to go out or come in. He's king, and he's like, I am out of my depth. I don't even know what door is the entrance and what door is the exit. Lord, I need help. That is a good way to approach the Lord. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. Too many to be numbered or countered for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. Keep that in mind as we get into Proverbs. That I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked for this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. So that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And the writer of the book of Kings expands on that a little bit. Flip over to the next chapter, chapter 4. What does this wisdom look like? You know, how, how do we... How can we kind of get a frame of reference for Proverbs? This is chapter 4, verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. The breadth of, the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all the other men. Wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. Wiser, wiser than Heman. It's Heman, but every time I see it, it's He-Man. If you grow up, like, it just brings me back to my childhood. I flex when I read that. Um, uh, Calcol and Darda and sons of Mahol 
and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. It's amazing what God did in Solomon. As a young believer, I read this and I was, and I was overcome by this. For two years straight, this was my prayer. Lord, grant me wisdom. Grant me an understanding mind. This so impressed upon me how much this pleased God and, and how valuable this is. So if there is any, if I say anything wise today, it is only because God is faithful in, in answering prayers, not because I bring anything to the table, because I fell before the Lord and desire even uh, an ounce of what Solomon had. And, and so one of the reasons I love the book of Proverbs. All right, so without further ado, let's get into our text. Uh, that was the introduction. Verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction. Uh, one of the few times I will tell you that the New Living Translation is helpful here. Um, they, um, it, it, it's a helpful commentary. So they actually add, um, and these are their, um, their supplying words that are not in the Hebrew. They add purpose to 2, 3, 4, and 6. So uh, this is a, a pur- purpose statement. Their purpose is to... Speaking of the Proverbs, to know wisdom and instruction. Their purpose is to give prudence to to the simple. Now, that's not a a, a translation. That's a commentary. But the commentary is is helpful. It it is implied within the text. So the first thing we have to know about to know is it speaks of purpose. Now, know is the first word we have to understand. We know what know means, right? Or do we? You know, what do we? Do I really know this? So um, you may say, I know, pick your favorite athlete or, or, or actor. I know Tom Brady or whatever. Do you? How many times have you spoken to him? Does he know your name? Uh, would he say the same thing? You know, uh, we, we, we throw these words around but don't really understand what they mean. Biblically, this word here, it means to understand, to take in, to embrace. It means to accept and, and respond. It's not just empty knowledge. It is true comprehension um, that, that you are actually taking a hold of something. So here I'm going to push back on some of you. This cannot be I nod my head and go home and do the same thing. I know for many of you that is your version of the Christian life. Yes, Tim, you're right. This is good. The Bible is good. And I'm going to go home and do exactly the same thing I did last week and nothing changes. That is not knowing anything. If you don't receive it and and, and respond to it, it is not knowledge at all. So this section here um, gives us the purpose for the entire book, and it's going to flesh out these themes. um, One of the things you're going to notice, too, the first half of the line and the second half of the line are parallels to one another. Uh, we'll, We'll flesh those out. Number one, to know wisdom and instruction. That's the first line. Know wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is another word we have to describe, we have to define. Because, as we mentioned earlier, there are plenty of definitions of wisdom in the world. The most concise, helpful definition I've been given uh, is when my Hebrew professor, when we worked through this, he said, wisdom is applied knowledge. That is the most concise definition. Wisdom is not just knowledge, it is knowledge that you put into practice. 
Wisdom is the, the, the skill of drawing on the right information for the right situation. Wisdom helps us navigate people and predicaments. It's the ability to understand, to discern, and apply information so that we can instruct, correct others and ourselves. What made Solomon so wise was not the breadth of his knowledge, but he had immense knowledge. But what made Solomon so wise is he had the right information for the right situation. The, the breadth of his knowledge was not just uh, disconnected information. It was, it was wise instruction he could call upon to apply to the right situation. That's what wisdom is. It's the right tool for the job. Now, we will spend the foreseeable future um, learning about, unpacking, and Lord willing, growing in wisdom. It is a complex and endless discipline. We will do it for the rest of our lives. But if we apply ourselves to it, it will be fruitful, I promise. Uh, so that's wisdom. So get to know wisdom and instruction. Now here's how these two things work together. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Instruction are those helpful pieces of information that wisdom applies. Let me give you an example. Um, Instruction includes knowledge of how a car engine works. Instruction is, okay, I know the fuel comes in here and goes around here, knowledge that I don't have. So this is just going to be my uh, idiot version of what goes on within an engine. Um, so the, the uh, gas comes in and the oil does it, it, its thing and the pistons do their thing. And, and, um, and so that's the, that's the extent of my knowledge. So I, I have no instruction and no wisdom in this, in this area. So the instruction is facts about how the, the, the engine works. Wisdom knows not only how, the, how the, the, the engine works, but how to fix it. But how to apply the right tool, how to identify what is working and what isn't working. You can have all the instruction in the world. You can, you can theoretically read a thousand books about car engines. But if you have never touched one, you are a fool. And so wisdom must get must put our hands on, on what we know, must put it into practice. And so the purpose of this book is to know wisdom, instruction, and the parallel to understand words of insight. So if you're able to know wisdom and instruction, you can put words of insight, wise sayings, into practice. Um, basically, wisdom is translation for application. Take wise words, take information, bring them in your mind, sort them, and then apply them to life. Translation for application. That's what this, this verse is getting at. Now, there's going to be a lot of uh, overlapping words. So words of insight, wise sayings, instructions. Uh, many have tried to define these, but they are, they're meant to drive home the point. They're, they're synonyms. All right, next. The next statement of purpose uh, the purpose of these parables is to receive instructions in wise dealings, another synonym, in righteousness and justice and, and, and equity. This word to receive, um, it's not just like, oh, you gave it to me, thank you, it's in my hand. It means to grasp and hold on to. Take what is given to you and, and, and make it your own. Um, accept it. Receive instruction again in wise dealings. What do wise dealings look like? Here's your, your uh, parallel. In wise dealings, the parallel in the second half of the verse, in righteousness, in justice, and equity. How do we have wise dealings? Well, the book of Proverbs will tell us 
But if it's what accords with righteousness and justice and equity, it's wise. That's what, that's what the writer is saying. Rephrasing or emphasizing the first line in the second line so that it drives the point home. So no wisdom um, receive or grasp hold of instruction, righteousness, justice, and equity. Um, so that's the, the, the first category for everyone. If you want to know what the book of Proverbs is about, the, the purpose, here's what everyone should take hold. Now we're going to get into, this is the person that the book is addressed to, really. To give prudence to the simple. Um, let's deal with prudence first. Prudence, shrewdness. Jesse referenced it in, in the prayer. Um, but Jesus says, be as wise as serpents, and gentle as doves. This is craftiness. This is cunning. This is being able to navigate and come out unscathed. Being, showing prudence, showing shrewdness. That's what he's, he's speaking of, to give prudence to the simple. Now, what does it mean to be simple? Now, there used to be a, a, a pejorative, a, you know, derogatory term, a simpleton. Someone who's stupid and, and not very smart. It's part of it. Um, but what simple really means, it's and it's being like a child, um, but it applies to any age. Let me give you an example. So think about flour. Flour is a very simple ingredient. Flour does not, is not appealing on its own. Flour does not have much to say for itself on its own. But you add the right ingredients, it can be savory. It can be, it can be sweet. It can be soft. It can be crusty. It can be hot. It can be cold. Um, flour will take on the characteristics of whatever are put into it. That is something that is simple. Flour doesn't have much on its own, but it becomes whatever it absorbs. And then it's transformed by what it takes in. And so the simple are kind of like blank slates. They're open to new ideas, and they're persuaded by whatever they hear, kind of like a child. Be careful what you say around a child because they're going to absorb everything, your good examples and your bad examples. That's what it, it means to be simple. And the purpose of the book is to understand that if you're not wise, you are simple. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you're, you're perceptible or you're, 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 um, you might be influenced by wisdom or by foolishness. And so if you're, if you're simple, beware. It's not bad to be simple because... The simple are not like the foolish. The foolish despise wisdom. The foolish don't want to be taught. But the simple can be taught. The simple can learn. The simple can, can grow. They might be young or they might be immature, but they're not hopeless. But if you're simple, be aware because wisdom or, or folly is going to be calling for you. And we'll flesh that out in the chapters to come. And so this is what we should seek to be. When Jesus says to me, when he says, come to me like a child... That's what he means. Come to me simple. You can't pour into a cup that's already full. You can't come to Christ with all your ideas and I got it all figured out. I'm wise in my own eyes. And we've got to be honest. As new Christians, many of you old Christians, you might still be simple. You might still be tossed to and fro by every feeling, dream, wind of doctrine that, that, that comes, into your, comes into your life. Um, but our goal is not to remain there. We are to take wise instruction so that we're no, longer, um, we're no longer foolish. But it's a good thing to be a humble and teachable child. So you've got the, the parallel in the second half. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion, same idea to the youth. Uh, this word for the youth, it's kind of your, your, um, your, your formative years. Uh, young teenagers... 
But our culture is very different from theirs. Let's kind of put this in, in perspective. Uh, if you were a, a Hebrew uh, young man or woman by 20, you were responsible for your actions. But you were, you were no longer considered a, a, a youth at 30. So think about that one for, for a moment. You're responsible, uh, but we're not, you're not, you don't really have a seat at the table until you're, you're 30. And not even that. You weren't considered an elder until you had gray hair. Uh, and so we are an impatient bunch, and there's a, we have a lot of impatient 20-year-olds in here. And so this book is for you um, <laughs> because you are the youth that he's talking about. As much theology as you may have, you, you need some more life under your belt. And so that's what we're going to do. But all of us have youthful and immature areas that, that, that can be sharpened and that, that can be grown. And, uh, but one of the things that's, that's interesting here in God's call for patience to the young, uh, this is a father's uh, letter to the son. We'll get into that more next week. But this book is written at a time when it was assumed and expected that the youth would listen to and sought out the wisdom of the older ones. It's not really a thing in our, in our culture anymore, unfortunately. This can't be assumed anymore. Um, but one of the lessons here is that knowledge and discretion can only be learned over time. It is, there is no quick fix. There is no microwave button for this. I cannot pack everything into my mind and I need to know in a couple of semesters of school or whatever else you're doing and think that I can go on in the rest of my life in full maturity. It just won't happen. And so this is to instruct the youth. This is to give parents and teachers tools for the youth and to instruct them. Um, and this is important in our culture because we are so smart, so young. We try to grow up so fast. Um, and we want to be, and I, I know how that feels. I want to be treated as an adult even though I do not know how to act like one. I don't know what it means to be an adult. I don't have any responsibilities. I've never made any meaningful decisions in my life. Um, but yet I want everyone to treat me with, with the respect of, of a man who's got decades under his belt. That's a common temptation. But biblically, this is, this is, this is very different. Here's something that's important. Maturity is not bestowed. It is earned. Maturity is not just handed over lightly. You must work for that. You must work up to that. Um, and so that's why... He has this broad call to everyone, then the specific call to the simple and the youthful, then to the mature. Because the purpose of this book is to get the simple to, to maturity and to get the, the, the mature to, to sharpen their, their craft a little bit more. So now let's go into the next and third category. Let the wise, i.e. the mature, verse 5, hear and increase in learning. Um, Helps understand what does he mean by the wise. It's the mature, but the parallel in the second line helps us understand that the wise is the one who understands. Uh, he's the one who understands, and he obtains guidance. So let the wise hear. This is important. Wisdom is not just reading. Wisdom is not theoretical knowledge. Wisdom is hearing, taking in, and increasing in learning. True learning is not just reading, but hearing, receiving, and multiplying. If you want to be wise, you can't just take this information and sit it up on the shelf and do nothing with it. Hear, receive, and multiply. Um, and we are always to be growing if we want to be wise. Here's another great characteristic of the wise. 
The wise is the one who understands. They obtain guidance. This word for uh, obtain, the root word means to purchase. Buy something. Go out and invest in guidance. Buy it. Purchase it for your, your own possession. You can't just pick it up off the shelf. Uh, it's going to cost you something. This word for guidance, it means counsel. Um, but the, the, the root of it comes from the word to steer a ship. So it's kind of uh, obtain uh, being a captain, uh, obtain leadership over a vessel. This is a great parallel. What should you go out and do? Everything that, that comes in uh, with, with steering a ship. Steering a ship does not mean I'm going to show up today, and uh, Mike and Jesse could probably write a book on this, but it doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to show up today and everything's going to make sense and I'm going to understand all my surroundings. It takes knowledge. It takes preparation. It takes calculation looking out ahead of you. It takes response to the elements. It, it takes um, the, the, the desire to get to a location, whether it's to gather food or, or, or transportation. Um, and it, is, it, it takes wisdom to guide through calm waters or stormy waters. So this, this guidance that you are to obtain and go out and purchase, desire to be a captain of a ship because the captain has to be aware of everything else that's going on in the ship. The captain is not the, the, the guy um, who's, who's down there with the uh, cargo not paying attention to everything. He is the one on the deck. He is the one who sees the enemy coming. He sees the, the storm arising. He sees when, when, when something's broken. He must be aware of his surroundings. This is what you strive for. This is what you purchase and go after. So, let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands obtain guidance. Continuing on, verse 6 sounds a lot like verse 2. Verse 2 is a call to everyone to know wisdom and instruction. Verse 6 is a call to the ones who already do. To understand a proverb and a saying. The words of the wise and their, the, words of the, wise and their, their riddles. Um, the wise already know how to grasp words of, of insight. So to the simple, seek wisdom. To the wise, continue what you're doing and grow in it. But notice what's going on here. There's a progression. Verses 2 through 4 are leading the simple to be wise. What sets the wise apart is the wise not only have the capability to apply wisdom, they have the responsibility to apply wisdom. Not just the capability in contrast to the simple, but the responsibility to apply whatever they hear. You're, you're wise, don't sit on your hands, put it in practice. And what he's saying in a sense here is you can't understand this without being wise. The wise are the ones who are going to increase in learning, who, are gonna, or who understand a proverb and a saying and the words of the wise and their, their riddles. Um, in other words, this book. You want to understand this book? It's not for stupid. It's for the wise. And so if you want to stay in your simple state, folly, Lady Folly is going to get a hold of you, and we'll, we'll deal with her in a couple chapters. Um, but seek wisdom. Uh, grow in this. And so there's this challenge so far to, to, um, to everyone, to the simple, to the young, to the wise. Well, not everyone. Almost everyone. I love how Chemper Longman says this uh, in his book on Proverbs. In the final analysis, the book of Proverbs is for everyone, but with one notable exception. The fool is excluded, 
Perhaps it would be more accurate to say that the, fool excludes them, the fools exclude themselves. But why? The answer comes when we consider the final climactic verse of the prologue. The fools, they um, exclude themselves. Why? So far, everyone, the simple, the youth, the wise, now, this is the principle of the entire book. There is no wisdom without this. There is no book of Proverbs without this. There is no understanding without the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is the essential component to the, without this, everything else falls apart. And this is what the fools despise. So I want to break this down a little bit. The fear of the Lord. So this phrase we've heard a lot, uh, maybe, hopefully you have. And so uh, fear is not our modern idea of fear where we're afraid and, and cowering in, in, in the corner um, because we don't know what's coming around in the darkness or coming around the next bend. This is fear of the Lord is you are in full knowledge of what you are facing. You are in complete reverence. You are completely undone. You are in, in awe. There's this heart appreciation and honor that you are overcome with the Lord. And so you rightfully fall down. Not because you're afraid of some boogeyman, but because you are in the presence of a holy and awesome God. That is fear of the Lord. And so this, there's a compliment in this last verse to what we've seen earlier. Remember the, the purpose of the verse, or the, the book in verse 2. Knowledge, wisdom, and instruction. The purpose is to know Wisdom and instruction. Notice the same order, same formula here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and instruction, which the fools despise. Um, I'm going to get nerdy for just a second here, but it's helpful. Um, Our epistemology cannot be separated from our theology. Big theology word to make us feel smart. Um, but all it really means is our epistemology is what we know about knowledge, how we go about the way that, that we think and put ideas together. You cannot disconnect how you, how you go about knowledge and obtaining information from your theology, your knowledge about God. You can't disconnect what we know and how we go about knowing things from what we know about God. You can't do it. You can't disconnect your philosophy from your theology, love of wisdom. You can't connect, uh, disconnect your teleology from your theology, the, the end of all things. What's, what's the purpose of this world? What the writer is saying here is you must know God. You must fear the Lord or the rest of this is futile. You can think about thoughts all day long. You can love to read. You can love ideas. You can ponder the meaning of life. But if you don't fear the Lord, give up. Amen. And so I love what Bruce Waltke again says here. Um, what the alphabet is to reading, notes to reading music, and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. Amen. Let me say that again. What the alphabet is to reading, you can't read without letters. Get that. What notes to reading music and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. That's why he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning. You can't even step up to the starting line without knowing the Lord. You can't even lace up your shoes unless you fear the Lord. Don't worry about anything else in this book until you say, do I know and fear the living God? Amen. 
We're not even having a conversation about knowledge until we talk about reverence for and service to the living God, the covenant God of Israel. Hence, the fools. David says, Psalm 14:1, the fool is the one who says in his heart that there is no God. This is the ungodly. You deny God, you try to have wisdom apart from God, it's not possible. You are a fool. The fools, they despise wisdom and knowledge. They despise the whole purpose of the book. So first and foremost, this is going to be a great study. Be excited. You should be. But if you don't know the Lord, I'm going to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher up here. None of this is going to make any sense to you. Unbelievers do not need more facts and information. They need to fear the living God. They do not need more constructs and worldly wisdom, as Paul said. They need to know Christ and Christ crucified. They need to fear the Lord Jesus Christ and fall down before him. Because you can heap up all the worldly wisdom and knowledge you want and be completely blind to what pleases God. That is what's at stake in reading this book. The fools, they need to become simple. They need to become like a child, not trusting in their own understanding, not being wise in their own eyes. And I'll tell you, if you're sitting here this morning and you do not fear the Lord, you are a fool. If you do not revere the Lord in your heart, if you are not in awe and wonder of the creator of the universe, you are a fool. But I pray that you're only simple. I pray that you desire to learn and grow in understanding, that you seek this out, that, that you stay with us because we're going we're, we're gonna to step on some toes and we're going to hurt some feelings. Um, we're also going to pick up and we're going to encourage as well in this study. So um, don't be a fool. Fear the Lord. So in, uh, in my conclusion, our last couple minutes, um, here's my word of wisdom for this book. There is a temptation to read Proverbs simply as a moral and ethical manual, hoping maybe to gain wisdom for wisdom's sake, wanting to learn from Solomon. But Jesus told us in Matthew 12, 42, that the queen of Sheba, who traveled across the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon, she will stand up in judgment for those who don't believe in the one who is greater. Don't seek after the type when we have the anti-type. Meaning, don't seek after the, the shadow when we have the substance. Amen. Solomon is brilliant, but Jesus is the culmination of all of God's wisdom from beginning to end. It is, he is the greater one. He is the one we should seek. And so I want to end where we began in 1 Corinthians 2. I want to encourage us to seek the wisdom of God to the glory of God. And I want us to be able to discern the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. So, if you, so in your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, if you want a New Testament interpretation and extrapolation and, and addition to Proverbs, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. When you're dealing with a 
a foolish church, you start with what is biblical wisdom. So I don't have time to get into all of it. I do want to look at one verse in chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Two verses. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. Christ crucified, this is wisdom. He is wisdom personified. He took on flesh so that we might see what the, the, the fullness of God dwelled in bodily form would be, but also that he might go to the cross to destroy what was lost at the fall, to destroy our sinfulness, to take the wisdom of, the man, of man who wants to earn his way to, into eternity, who wants to pull himself up by his own bootstraps, who wants to think that he has all the information and turn it into folly. The wisdom of God is that God took on flesh and stood in the place of sinful man and reconciles him to this holy and awesome God that you should fear. Amen. That's why when Paul picks up in verse two or verse one of chapter two, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And Paul could do it. He could debate all of the philosophers. For I decided to know nothing among you. Here's what the church needs, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But listen to his reasoning. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, meaning worldly wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Not that your faith might rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul has this, this contrast. I didn't come with flowery speech to impress you that I'm a great communicator and that I can quote all of these rabbis and all these philosophers because I can. But what is the greatest thing I can offer you? The cross of Jesus Christ. And if you have ears to hear, now this next part is for the mature. Here's the, the wise that we're dealing with in Proverbs. Yet among the mature, the wise, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Why do we want to study Proverbs? Because it's the wisdom of God and it's for our glory. It's for God to be glorified in our lives and the people who see us to be in awe and wonder. What is with these Christians? How can they be so consistent how can they be so unmoved by the world? How can they apply such, such wisdom and discretion? I want to go to him. I want to go to her because they're able to give wise counsel when the rest of the world sounds foolish to our glory. Going on, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Read here the fear of the Lord. What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who fear the Lord. If you think the world has something better to offer, you can't imagine what God has prepared for, you, for those who fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, for it is the beginning of all else. These things, verse 10, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, um, this is incredible. Look what Paul unpacks here. 
He's saying that the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Holy Spirit knows the depths of God. God doesn't have depths. God doesn't have limits. The Spirit knows everything because the Spirit is God. But look, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? The Spirit is a person, knows the, the, the depths of the Father, the Son. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Follow Paul's logic here. The Spirit knows all of God because he is God. We've been given the Spirit of God so that we might understand these things. Jesus said, it's better that I go. Why? Because in my humanity, I can't dwell with each one of you. But I send my Spirit who lives within you so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. God has given us an amazing gift of wisdom, but we are so content with, with chasing foolishness, aren't we? We are so content with the wisdom of the world. We are so content with chasing our tails and chasing what everyone else says is important. But the Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit so that we might understand the gifts of God. We might take this gift and hold fast to it. And we, Christians to other Christians, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Here's the reality, folks. There is nothing that I say will bring any fruit unless the Holy Spirit who is in me is speaking to the Holy Spirit in you. This is a spiritual conversation that if you don't know the Lord, you're eavesdropping in, and, and I hope the Spirit brings you to new life. But if you do know the Lord, listen. The sheep hear his voice. There is a, a language of wisdom that we impart to one another, that we encourage one another with. That's why we continue to go back to the Scriptures, because the same Spirit that inspired the Word now dwells within us, and our speech and our actions should confirm what we see in the Word. Amen? The natural person, the fool, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. People love to quote, uh, judge not lest you be judged. In the church, we are to judge, absolutely. Show wise discernment in the church. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is what the book of Proverbs is to guide us to and to remind us that we have been given the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, the mind of Christ. So I want us as a church to dig into this study in any study in the scriptures so that we can walk in wisdom, so that we can walk in the mind of Christ. So I'm going to give you a few moments to prepare your minds, your hearts to approach the table the deacons will get the elements ready, and then I will, I will lead us.